actually starting last week, we were in a series about the book of Ephesians. How many of you followed along with the devotionals online? How many of y'all were watching them on Facebook? We're posting videos every day but Sunday uh, because obviously... I'm preaching about Ephesians 2 uh, today, and, uh, but every day, every, mo- every day at noon, we post a video to Facebook. Uh, you may say, well, why isn't it on Instagram? Because they won't give us more than a minute. I didn't know that, and so, uh, but it gets posted to Facebook every day, and so we're taking a couple verses each day. And part of the goal, part of the reason behind this series is to get us all engaging in Scripture in the same places. And so like this week, uh, you would have read Ephesians chapter 2 this week. The devotionals all would have led up to, to today. And, uh, and so today I'm going to share some with you about Ephesians 2 because how many of you realize that the Bible is actually supposed to make a difference in our life? Like it's not just words on a page, that there's actual truth in Scripture that the Bible says can actually change our life when we actually engage with Scripture. And statistically speaking, Christians are less and less and less engaging with the Bible. Well, here's the problem with that, is that when we engage with the Bible less, we also engage with the Spirit of God less. We also engage or less with the, the power of the Word of God. And the, power, and the Word of God is powerful when we engage it. And so the other side of it is, is when's the best time to learn a Scripture? Not during crisis. Right? I mean, look, I'm very thankful for Google. I had somebody ask me this morning about a scripture, and they're like, Google it and helping me out. You know, they're like, I don't know if I'm wording it wrong. And so I had to go look it up myself because I was like, I know the scripture, but I'm not sure where the reference is. So I go and search it online. And I'm very thankful for that. But there's something different, and the Bible talks about this, is about hiding God's word in our heart. In other words, make a deposit before you need it. Because when you need it, that scripture, the Bible says the Holy Spirit will quicken our mind. And let me say it this way. The Holy Spirit will remind you about what you read. And you may not be able to say, well, in Ephesians 2 it says, but you could say, I know that the word of God said whatever that applies to your situation and to your circumstance. And so it's important that we engage with the word of God. And it would be better for you to digest a small amount of scripture every day And really think about it, ponder it, give it a few moments. I told you last week, and I encourage you to watch the devotional and pray and ask the Holy Spirit, what do you want to say to me as you begin to read the passages for each day? So watch the Devo, read the couple of scriptures, ask the Holy Spirit, what are you speaking to me? And then if you hear something or if a verse stands out to you, a thought comes to you, just write it out in a notebook. Why? Because, you know, it's actually proven, you may even do this, is that when you write something... You actually remember it more. Now, I know we live in the, you know, there's this stuff called paper and a pen. I know, you know, it's like we think about things that we have to write and it's like, well, I type everything. I mean, I'm ashamed to say that when I have to write very much that my arm starts to hurt because I don't write anything. I type everything. And, uh, you know, but there is something to be said even for committing it to memory that when we write it out by hand, that it actually registers in a, and, and makes a, a mark on our brain that says this is noteworthy. This is uh, something to be remembered. And so we've been sharing about, started last week, and t- so we went through Ephesians 1. If you weren't here, I would encourage you um, to jump online. And uh, you can also, uh, anywhere that you listen to a podcast, you may or may not know this, uh, but if you know what podcasts are, they're basically... Um, 
things you can download on your phone. But wherever you go, you can actually search Life United Lake Charles and it will pop up our podcast. And so like last Sunday service is on there. And so you can go and download those. You can get on the website. You can go to Facebook. You can do all those types of things. But I want to give you just a brief recap from last week about Ephesians. A little bit of background is that, you know, in the New Testament, this is what's called an epistle, which is a fancy word for letter. It's a letter that was written to a group of Christians in a city called Ephesus. There's some debate about that, but it got settled that they said, hey, it was written to the book or to the people or the church at Ephesus. But the thing about this book is that it wasn't just written to them specifically. Uh, Paul had gone to Ephesus on a, minist- on a missionary journey at one point, And so he's writing a letter to them. But it was intended that they would take that letter and they would pass it around to many other churches. And so you could say it this way, is that that the letter wasn't written solely to them, but it was intended to be shared. So you could say it like this, is that this is a letter to the church about the church and for the church at large. And so the Bible applies to us whether we are gathered together like this or if we're scattered as we are during the week is that the Bible actually has implications. And the book of Ephesians talks a lot about who we are in Christ. It talks about a new identity. Like we have this term that we use at times in church. It talks about being born again. Now we can, many times we say, if somebody asks you, are you a Christian? Pretty much the default because of where we live is yes. But if you ask somebody, have you been born again? Many people would say, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, that's pretty important because the Bible says that we have to be born again. We have to be recreated in Christ anew. And the book of Ephesians talks about who we are in Christ a lot. It talks about our new identity. And so starting off in verse one, we're going to look at Ephesians one or two, chapter two, verses one through 10 this morning. Um, that's about half of the chapter, but uh, there's some things I just want to point out to you because these, and again, the book, the Bible is very, very practical. It's not mystical. It's not useless. It's very practical when we actually apply it. But we have to apply it. And we have to know how to apply it. Have you ever seen somebody who did a really poor paint job? They had the paint. They had the brush. They had the roller. But they didn't know how to apply it properly. And after the fact, you thought, they don't know how to paint. You ever had that moment? Right? And, And so, well, the same can be true with the Bible. You may know scriptures, you may know some truth, you may have heard somebody talk about it one time somewhere, but if you don't know how to properly apply the word of God, it will actually be hindered in its benefit towards you. And so let's just start here in uh, verse 1 of Ephesians chapter 2, and it says, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. Now I've highlighted a key word there. Because remember, he's writing to Christians. He's writing to people who have been born again. And he says, you were. That's important. That word were is very, very important. Because if we're not careful, we will identify with who we are in the natural and just even by our past. As opposed to really identifying with who we are in Christ. And you say, well, why is in Christ so important? Because in Christ, my past is washed away. Not like just kind of covered over. In the Old Testament, they would do sacrifices. And and, and literally, we have the term, and, and if you know much about the Old Testament, there's actually the term of the Passover. It's where God basically said, hey, I will not look at your sin for the next year. 
I'm just going to pass over it until Jesus came. But now that Jesus has come, God no longer passes over sin. He actually deals with sin. And the Bible says that, you know, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, or 17, I'm sorry. It says that if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are what? Not passed over. No, they're washed away. And all things have become new. Well, when we get a new identity, we also have to learn how to live differently. But we have an enemy, whether you realize it or not, we have an enemy, the devil, who has demonic forces. And he wants to remind us of our past. He wants to remind us of our mistakes. He wants to remind us of all of our failings and says, hey, this is who you really are. But the Bible says something very different. It says, no, you once were. You were dead because of your sins. It goes on, it says, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. And it says all, everybody say all. All of us used to live this way. See, the truth is, is that we were all born into sin. Every single one of us. None of us got a leg up at birth. We were all born into the same life is that that's the life of sin. And that's and sin ultimately will destroy your life. It will. The Bible talks about, it says, the wages of sin ultimately, what? Bring death and destruction into our life. And so here, Paul is giving us some instructions. And he says that we all used to live like this. We all, let me say it this way, is that we all just lived by our own desires. Whatever we wanted to do, we did. It was just kind of, if it feels good, go for it make it happen right and he goes on here and he says all of us used to live this way following the passionate desires and the inclinations of our sinful nature now this may be a new term for you but i would encourage you at the beginning of of, well not this month it was the beginning of july july 4th and july 11th i did a two-part message series that i actually dive into this that i would encourage you if you if that term sin nature and you're like i don't know what that means I would encourage you to go listen to those two messages because I don't have time to dig into that this morning. But you need to know that you have a sin nature. You have a spirit nature. You have a soul nature. The Bible says that you are a triune being. You're three parts, spirit, soul, body. You don't, you do have a body, but you're more than a flesh. You're more than just what you see right here. You are a spirit man, but you still have a a mind that has desires and a flesh that has desires that we have to deal with. And Paul says that before we came to Christ, that we followed those desires of our sinful nature. And he says, by our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. Now we have to understand that we the Bible gives us instructions and really, hopefully for every one of us, this is the description of who we have been and not who we are. But I have good news for you today. If you've never given your heart to the Lord, if you say, man, I just do whatever I want, whenever I want, however I want. I never give it any other thought. I would encourage you to to think and to ask yourself the question, have you been born again? You know, there was a, 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 a um, it was one of the spiritual leaders named Nicodemus that came to Jesus in the middle of the night because he was afraid of what everybody would think about him. And he asked Jesus a question. He says, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he says, you must be born again. And Nicodemus is a logical man, obviously. and says, well, how's that going to work? Am I supposed to go and 
return into my mother to be reborn again. And in my opinion, I think Jesus probably laughed because that's probably what I would do. And, And he said, but Jesus says, no, you're looking at it from a natural perspective. This is a spiritual perspective because the thing is, is that the Bible talks about that we were born, you know, just as it says here, it says that you were dead. The Bible says we were dead in our sins, even when we were, let me say it this way, is that we were born physically, spiritually dead. But when we come to Christ, our spirit is awakened to the spirit of God. And you may be here today and you say, man, I've prayed a prayer, but I don't know that I've actually ever come alive like you're talking about. Like I just said some words, but nothing changed. I would encourage you to consider, the Bible talk uses this phrase, it says, consider your ways, consider your life, consider where you're at. Why? Because God has something so much better for us. And if we're not careful, even as Christians, we can fall into the trap of trying to do right as opposed to being right. And there's a big difference. We can just try to not cuss. We can try to not do certain activities. We can try to be a good person. We can try to just do nicer things. But that's a work of the flesh. But that's not what the Bible calls us to. It calls us to a new life in Christ. And in Galatians chapter 2, it actually talks about this. Paul writes and says, for when I tried to keep the law, the Old Testament, you know, how many of you know the Ten Commandments? I'm not going to ask you to recite them because most of us couldn't get ten. I tried one time and I think I got seven or eight and then I could not think of the last two. And uh, so don't feel too bad. But there were literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of laws that the Jewish nation had really put on people and said, if you want to live for God, this is what it takes. And Paul says that when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. Why? Because it was a constant reminder that you're not good enough. Constantly. And if you've ever tried and look, and I've tried to do this, I was convinced that I got saved by grace, but I was going to get there by works and be like, thank you very much, Jesus, but I'm going to get into heaven because I was better than everybody else. How many of you realize that even that thought was sinful? It's called pride. And so if we're not careful, and many times we get into a works mindset, why? Because we want to compare ourselves with everybody else to make us feel better. But Paul says that it actually, the law, trying to keep the law, condemned him. And I like how he says this. He says, so I died to the law. I just gave up on it. said, you know what? I can't do all of those things. And Paul actually was, and this isn't a flippant statement from Paul. He actually knew every law by heart. He could recite them. There were approximately 800 laws. And he, he was like the top of his class. You can go and read his resume. It's pretty impressive. He was taught by the, the smartest, best teachers of his day. He says it this way, is that he was a Pharisee of all Pharisees. In other words, I was, what is that, uh, what do you call it? What's that term when you graduate your top of your class? No, not that one, the other, where all the smart people are. Like magna cum laude or something like that. What is that? Is that it? Summa cum laude. There we go. Got somebody in here that was like, oh, I know what that is because I was in that part of my class. Like, don't disrespect me this morning, you know. But that was Paul, though, is that he literally was the top of his class in every. And he says, I died to my education because my education was killing me. How many of you realize that we can actually be taught religion and it could actually be killing us today? Why? Because we've removed the spirit of God from the word of God and it becomes law. 
It just becomes, well, I'm just trying to do better. I'm just trying to do better. Stop trying and start asking the Holy Spirit to help you. We were singing a song this morning, bring a fresh wind into my life, into my heart. Why? Because we have to live by the Spirit of God. It's, I mean, look, I tried to live for God in my own strength. It lasted about two weeks, and I did it for years that way. Just fail after fail after fail after fail after fail. And then finally, I figured it out. I can't live for God on my own. God, I need your help. And I finally got past myself enough to say, Lord, I need you to help me. So Paul continues and he gives us a secret. He says, I stopped trying to meet all of its requirements. This is Galatians 2.19. He says, I stopped trying to meet all of its requirements so that I might live for God. He says, my old self, my old man, my sin nature has been crucified with Christ. I, it says, it is no longer I who lives, but it's Christ who lives in me. There's the identity that I no longer, I have died. Christ now lives on the inside of me. The Passion Translation of verse 20, I like how it says it. It says, my old identity has been co-crucified with my Messiah. It says, and, and no longer lives. For the nails of his cross crucified me with him. So when we look at Jesus hanging on a cross, what we should actually do is say, he was hanging in my place that I deserve to hang because of my sins. But Jesus stepped into my place. He took my role. He took on my punishment. And it says, because Jesus did this, the second part of Galatians 2.20, here in the Passion, it says, my new life is empowered by the faith of the Son of God who loves me so much that he gave himself for me and he dispenses his life into mine. See, we can just go through the motions and yet miss the whole point. And I don't care if we've been saved for two minutes or 20 years. We can disconnect from the life that God wants to put into our life. And I love how, the, how this uh, version says it, is that Christ dispenses his life into my life. And so that even in my worst days or the days where I'm just like, I'm a total failure, I know I can go to God and say, God, I thank you that you are my father. That you didn't save me because of what I've done, but you've saved me because of your grace. And the same grace that saves me is the same grace that will empower me today. And so, God, I need you. Don't be so concerned about praying the right prayer. Like, pray the prayer that you want to pray. Not, oh, Father, forgive me, oh, the sinner. Like, I, I don't understand that language. Like, God, I don't like what's happening right now. God, I don't like who I am right now. I don't like what I'm thinking right now. And I need your help. So I thank you that your grace is enough for me. And I thank you that you're going to help me today. I'm overwhelmed in this moment. You said that you would be there, so I thank you. That your word says that you will never leave me, you'll never forsake me, but you're always going to be there for me. That's an honest prayer. That's the PG honest prayer. The PG-13 is, God, this sucks, and I don't like it. Now, I know some of you just got offended that I said that word in church, but a relationship with God is real. And it's honest. But when we're honest with God, we also open ourselves up for his grace in our life. And so jumping back over into Ephesians 2, 
So we've been identified now as kind of our past condition, if you will. So Paul picks up here in verse 4. So we left off in verse 3. We're going to jump back in to verse 4. And it says, so in verse 3, he says, you know, that we were subject to God's anger and all these things. And in verse 4, it picks up and says, but God still loved us with such great love. Now, I don't know about you, but I love the fact that it says, but God. Because in verse 1 through 3, it basically says, I'm up a creek without a paddle by myself. But God in verse 4. But, but God, because of what, how he loved us, he says he is so rich in compassion and mercy. God is not angry or mad at you, and you need to know that. Because why would you go to a God who is angry? But that's not what scripture says. It actually says quite the opposite. It says that he's rich in compassion and mercy. It says, even when we were dead and doomed in our many sins, he united us in the very life of Christ and saved us by his wonderful grace. He raised us up with Christ, the exalted one, and we ascended with him into glorious perfection. Now, this is what I, and this is, if you get nothing else today, I want you to pay attention to what it says here. It says that we ascended with him, being Christ, into glorious perfection and the authority of the heavenly realm. For we are now co-seated as one with Christ. We are co-seated. Another translation would say this, that we are co-heirs with Christ. Is that we have now, like, we don't, there's not the, 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 the throne, the Bible says that Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father. That he's seated at the right hand. That word seated is very important. Because the right, the, 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 on the, the right of any king, the person to his right has authority to, to act on behalf of the king. So, biblically speaking, what it is in representation is that the Father, God, sits on the throne. And it says that Jesus sits to his right hand, which means he has the authority of the king to enact anything that the king wants. And yet here it says something very interesting, is that we've been ascended with him, being Christ, to the right seat of the Father. Now this doesn't, now if you're not careful, you can say, yeah, but I have some other inferior chair to Jesus. No, the Bible says that you are in Christ. You are in the seat with him. And I'm going to show you this and why this is important. Because I know this can be somewhat technical, but if you can grab hold of this truth, it will change your life. It will actually change the degree of which the enemy can influence your life, your thoughts, your family. How you experience life doesn't mean that things will always be perfect, but it is one of the secret weapons of every believer. And it is that we've been given the authority that Christ has. And, you know, another word that may be a little bit more uh, familiar to you is you can say it this way. Have you ever had a co-signer on a loan? Like, I remember when I was first getting started in life, I tried to go buy a truck because mine had broke really bad. And the bank said, we won't give you a loan. Which today I would never advise this, but my dad was a co-signer on the loan. And he threatened me that if I didn't pay the bill, he would make me disappear, right? And so, <laughs> but he co-signed, which said what? If he doesn't pay, I will. 
And here we see this in Scripture. And so even where we're talking about, when it talks about that we've been seated with Christ, is that we now represent and we have the authority of Christ. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22. We looked at this Scripture last week, but I wanted to, to show it to you because it, it really applies to this truth. It says that God has put all things under the authority of Christ. And most people that have been around church at, at some degree would say that. Is it, yes, that Jesus is above all and that he has authority over all, but that's not the end of the story. And we looked at this last week and he says that he has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. Okay, well, who is the church? It's us. Everybody say me. How many of you, this building is not the church. When we showed up this morning, this building became a church. We're the church. The Spirit of God dwells in us, not in this building. And so when we come together, there is something special about that. But just because we leave, something that doesn't change is the authority that we've been given. And I'm going to show you this from Scripture. And so some of the definitions uh, of the word authority, I like this first one. It says superhuman. I don't really know why authority is superhuman, but let me use a, 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 a little bit more scriptural of a term. is supernatural. Is it, do you realize that you actually have authority beyond just your natural ability? That because you are now in Christ, that you have the authority, the ability to speak, that even demonic forces would have to pay attention to? And you're like, man, that's scary and that's spooky. The reason it's scary and spooky is because you don't understand the Bible. Now, I don't mean that to be offensive. I realize it could be. But ignorance can actually hurt us. Ignorance is not bliss, and it does not turn out for our good. And I'll show you this in Scripture in just a moment. But the word authority means a token of control. It's kind of like when a police officer walks up with a badge. Yes, he has a weapon, but what that badge says is, I have some friends who will come, that I'm not here by myself. And he has been what? He has delegated authority, that he is representing someone else but he has authority and he has the right to use that authority as what someone who has been deputized or brought into the team if you will well you have been deputized by god that you are now in christ well with that comes some authority it comes some abilities another tra- or another definition of authority is delegated influence So you can say it's authority, jurisdiction, liberty, power, right, strength, all of these kinds of things. Another term that we could use for this is actually the power of attorney. How many of you ever have been the power of attorney for somebody else? It meant that when you signed your name, it was like them signing theirs. That's that's actually what this term is actually. Is that we have the, what, the power of attorney for Jesus Christ. Now, that doesn't mean that we get to wield it any time, any way we want. It's in accordance and in agreement with God's will. You're like, well, what's the will of God? Well, what did God say? We'll touch on that here in a few minutes, a little bit more. But it's important to understand these things. So I'm showing you an example of this out of Luke chapter 10. Starting, I'm going to read verse 17 through 20. Now, Jesus is talking to the disciples and he's saying, hey, guys, I'm getting, you know, he's kind of giving them some how-tos, if you will. But they, So he sent them out 
in groups of two. He said, go out, preach the gospel, do these things. And so they come back, and this is their report. Seventy-two disciples returned. It says, and they joyfully reported to him. Now, this goes back to what I just told you a moment ago. It says, Lord, even the demons obey us when we use your name. Now, these guys aren't even saved because salvation wasn't purchased yet. But they came back and they're all excited because they, because, and, and I like that it says even, which means there were other things that happened with the name of Jesus. It wasn't just that, but they said, man, hey, even the demons will listen to us when we, what, when we declare your name into a situation. And Jesus responds and says, yes, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. He says, look, I have been given or I've given you authority over all the power of the enemy. And you can walk on snakes and scorpions and crush them. He's not talking about physical snakes and scorpions. He's talking about demonic powers and abilities that that will war against the kingdom of God, that will actually try to influence your life. And here Jesus says, I've given you authority over that. I'll give you a short example of this. I've shared this before, but there was, while me and Derek were living in Arkansas for a time, is that we had about a two-month, I'm just going to use the, the proper phrase, which all hell broke loose. I mean, every day, and I'm not, not exaggerating, you can ask my wife, every day there was something. And I caught myself using this phrase. I would walk in and she'd say, how was your day? And I'd say, man, the hits just keep on coming. It was something with us personally. It was something with the church. It was something with our family. It was something. Culminated by my son falling off of the countertop and smacking the floor with his head on Good Friday. Well, how many of you know that Easter follows Good Friday? Praise the Lord. So, I I mean, God worked in a great way um, because, you know, I I won't go into it. I don't want to spend the time to go into it, but it, it was a very serious moment. I mean, they were telling me, if you don't get your son to help, there's nothing we can do if his brain starts to bleed. And we're concerned. And they said, if you put him in the car, he may die on the way there. And they're like, and we have, we don't even have the technology to tell you if that's happening right now. So when I say it was serious, I mean, it was serious. He was nine months old. But I, but during that time, I mean, it was financial stuff. I mean, it's just pressure. You ever feel pressured like in every direction? I mean, I know Paul says, hey, we were pressured on every side, but we weren't crushed. Well, I was getting crushed. And one day I made the statement to Dara and it just clicked. I said, the hits just keep on coming. And I thought, what am I saying? Because I've been given authority over my life. And if I keep declaring the hits keep on coming, guess what's going to happen? The hits are going to keep on coming. And I just thought, you know what? I've had enough. And I hadn't realized it, that it wasn't, it was natural circumstances, but there was a spiritual force behind what was happening. And me and Derek got together and we just, we prayed and we took authority over that. It's amazing how fast all that craziness stopped. I mean, like somebody turned off a faucet. It didn't happen when I kept saying the hits just keep on coming. The hits just keep on coming. Things just keep on happening. Things just keep, I mean, I'm talking about multiple things a day for weeks on end. But what, what happened is that we got into agreement and we took authority. Why? Because we just did what the Bible said. It's not because I happen to be a pastor. No, it happened because I'm a believer in Jesus. 
I'm a disciple of his, and I used his authority. I, I had power of attorney to use his name. And I said, this chaos has to stop. Devil, you'll not influence my home. You'll not influence my family. You'll not attack my family. And I take authority over you. You know, the Bible actually talks about this, is that whatever we bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And sometimes we get in the mindset or the understanding that that's talking about like heaven where Jesus, it actually is the heavenlies, which the Bible talks about that, the, that Satan is the prince of the power of the air, the heavenlies. Well, you've been given authority over the enemy. Let me ask you the question, though. Are you using your authority? Or are you just letting the enemy come in and just create chaos in your life? I mean, there's times just in my relationship with Dara that it's like, man, there's something going on in me. And I don't know what it is. And then I realize that, hey, it's the enemy trying to bring division into our home. I mean, we pray over every home that we've ever bought, that we've moved into. We pray over it. This is a house of peace. This is a house of joy. I mean, we, we, we pray, man, when people come here to visit, and we've had people tell us this over and over and over. Man, I love coming to your house. It's just so peaceful. Thank you. I prayed for that. As a matter of fact, if you come into my home, my personal home, and you want to cause drama, I will politely ask you to leave as I lead you out the door. Because my house is not going to have confusion and chaos. Why? You say, well, because you said so. No, because Jesus did. He said, peace, he would leave with me. That's why. And so these are some things that, that make a big difference when we walk in them. And so it says, so it picks up, it goes on, it says that nothing will injure you. He says, but don't rejoice because evil spirits obey you. Rejoice that your names are registered in heaven. The Bible calls it the book of life. And when we go to heaven, it's only going to matter. Did you accept Jesus? Is your name written? The Bible specifically calls it the Lamb's book of life. If your name is there, you go in. Say, well, how do I get in the book? You have to surrender your heart to the Lord. You have to accept him as Savior. So I, wanna, I just want to point this out quickly. Is that if Jesus' disciples had this kind of authority where even demonic forces would listen to them, how much more do we now being born again, blood-bought Christians have? Because the reality is, is that we're actually in a better position than them. Because they were just kind of taking Jesus at his word, but they actually weren't saved yet. Jesus had not paid the price of sins. He had not gone to the grave. He had not risen. So they're just doing what they're told. But yet, how much better is it for us now as this side of, because really the Bible is broke up into three parts. You have the Old Testament, which is all prophetic about Jesus coming. You have the Gospels, which is like the gospel in action. And then you have everything from the book of Acts to Revelation is, hey, here's what it looks like this side of salvation. So God tells us about it. God shows us. And now God says, go live it. That's, I mean, that's the Bible in a nutshell. I just saved you years of theological understanding right there. You're welcome. I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to do it and now go live it. That's it. And the book of Ephesians talks about this, much about this. So how do I practically use the authority that you've been given? And this is important because, again, you can have the paint and the rollers and all that, and your paint job still look horrible, right? Well, you can have authority and it not be effective. And look, and God is gracious. 
But the enemy is not. And he looks for every advantage. The Bible says to be wise, knowing that I have an enemy. In, in 1 Peter chapter 5, it talks about that. It says the enemy is looking for somebody to take advantage of. So how do I use my authority as a believer, as a follower of Christ, that it would change my life? Number one is the word of God. It doesn't do any good to just throw out your feelings or your impressions and just try to throw the name of Jesus at the end of it and say, I hope that works. No, number one is you have to have faith in, the, in number one, the name of Jesus, but you have to have faith that the word of God actually works. But you have to also know the word of God. So it's important. If I'm going to utilize the authority that I've been given in Christ, I need to understand what the scriptures have promised me. So we need the word of God. And number two is that we need to understand the name of Jesus. It's not just the salutation of our prayer. Technically, it's the sealing element of our prayer. It's the, the, the authorization, the stamp, the seal that says this is legitimate. When I pray the word of God and use the name of Jesus, it's powerful. Jesus won't authorize my every thought or my every emotion, but he will authorize his word. As a matter of fact, the Bible says in Isaiah that God watches over his word to perform it. He's waiting for us. Psalms actually says that there are angels waiting to hear the commands of the word of God. Who are they waiting on? Us. I love the mental picture that it gives there is it says that they're actually, it's like, you know, it's Olympic season, right? And it says that they're actually are, it's like they're in the starting blocks of a sprinter waiting for somebody to begin to speak God's word. So you may not realize it, but your words have incredible power. But when we can align them with God's word, and sometimes our words, we're going to have to choose to speak by faith. The Bible says that faith is what? Declaring things that are not as though they are. Just give you an example. You may have a child who is going crazy right now. I've got a three-year-old that she needs to get saved. You know what I'm saying? And um, just being honest with you, she needs, to get, she needs some Jesus. And um, she needs a lot of Jesus. And uh, especially about 1.30 this morning, send her to Jesus, you know. And, uh, but, you know, but you may have a situation or maybe it's a boss or maybe it's your marriage relationship. And, and you need to start declaring things. I thank you that my work is a peaceful place. You may say, man, it's chaos. Begin to speak. You begin to declare, God, I thank you that you're going to use me as being an agent of peace in my workplace. Everybody else can be crazy, but I'm not, I'm not buying into it. My marriage is falling apart. Quit saying that. Nope. My marriage is strong. Our, our house is full of love and compassion towards one another. If you'll change what you say, you will change what you experience. It's really true. But when you begin to, to stand upon God's word and begin to take those steps forward, you would be amazed. I promise you, if you would do this for six months, you would look back and say, it's absolutely just revolutionized my life. What six months? I mean, the shutdown was almost a year and a half ago. So what six months? What do you have to lose? Your life just stays the same. 
The chaos remains. What if you started putting these principles into action and your life actually began to change, though? Oh, now you get to live what in this new life that God has for you. In Ephesians chapter 2, picking up in verse 7, say, well, why would God do all of this? Here's why. He gives us the answer. Now, I left off at verse 6. I'm picking up in verse 7. I'm not skipping verses. It says, so this is why God has given us the authority. This is why God has given us salvation. This is why God has given us his grace and his compassion. It says, so that God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us as shown in all that he has done for us who are united with Christ. God wants to use us to brag about us and say, you remember them? You see what I did in them? He said, for the ages to come, is that God wants to be able to brag and say, this is what what Jesus did in them. It says, God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that you've done. None of us could be good enough anyways, but even our best behaviors aren't good enough. It says, so that none of us can boast about it. Now, in verse 10, it's such a beautiful scripture. It says, for we are God's masterpiece. I like to say it this way. I can lean towards the self-confident side. Is that God took a little extra time on me. My wife just rolls her eyes and I'm like, I'm sorry that you don't believe that about yourself. But God made me as a masterpiece. God is a master artist. And when he made me, he thought, I need to work on him a little bit more. And, And made me, what, to... It's what scripture says. It says that you are God's masterpiece. That God, when he created you, had something good in mind. And he's a master artist and he doesn't make mistakes and he doesn't write in flaws. And he doesn't write it. No, you were created in Christ. What? As a new creation. For you are God's masterpiece. Let me say it in other words. You are God's work of art. That you, as an individual, right now, God doesn't look at you as flawed. He looks at you as a work of art that he created. The Bible says for his good pleasure. So it goes on. It says that you're God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ so that we could do the good things that he had planned for us long ago. The Passion Translation says it this way. It says, even before you were born, God planned in advance our destiny and the good works that we would fulfill it. See, God created us not to be born into sin. He actually created us to come alive unto him. That's the reason why. And why did he create us to come alive in him? Because he has a job for us to do. He has an assignment. You were created with purpose, on purpose, for purpose. God created you with something in mind. There was a problem and said, and God said, I need somebody to fix it. And he created you. Whether you realize it or not, you are a problem solver. You were created for that. And God said, there's a need and I'm going to create you specifically for that need. And you've got giftings and grace upon you to do those things. But we have to come in line with God's word and we have to understand that I've been created new in Christ. It's no longer that old man that I identify with and he may try to pop up every now and then. You just got to knock him back down and say, nope, that's not who I am anymore. I mean, Paul talks about that. He says that I have crucified my flesh, that old man. I have crucified him. And this is a new way to live. 
And, and so I want you to understand today two things. As I'm wrapping up this morning, I've got, I'm going to give you the two big ideas for today. Number one, if you've been recreated in Christ, you have authority. It's really both points are in the same sentence. That when you surrendered your heart to Jesus, you were created new. That old man has passed away. That old life, all those, those, those old trappings. Let me say it another way is that there's nothing in your past life that should dominate your present life. Nothing. And the enemy will try. Why? Because old things are passed away. Devil, you don't have authority in me anymore. You may have opened the door to the enemy, but in Christ, you've now shut that door. Now, you can choose to reopen it if you want. But you were created as God's masterpiece. He created you anew so that you could come alive unto him, that there would be the life of Jesus, just as it talked about as I read to you earlier. Where was that scripture? Galatians 2.20 says, It's no longer I that live. I've been crucified with Christ. My new life is empowered by faith in the Son of God who loved me so much that he gave himself for me. And today, he dispenses his life into mine. The very same peace that Jesus had, you can have. It's actually a promise in John 14, John 16. I think it's in 14. But he says, my peace I leave with you. The very peace that I have, I'm giving to you. Joy. And I'm not, when I say joy, I don't mean happiness. Happiness is fleeting. But joy actually comes from within. You know, it's one of the fruit of the Spirit is joy. You say, well, what's the fruit of the Spirit? It's the evidence that the Holy Spirit is in your life. Is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness. All of those nine. These are the work of the Holy Spirit working on the inside of us. And, and that all starts with a relationship with God. And so this morning, I want to pray over us. But you may be here today and you say, man, I, I've never...